First Peter chapter 4. We're looking at the entire chapter this morning. For those of you who are our guests this morning, we have been working our way over the last few weeks through this letter, this first of two letters that Peter writes to the church that we have in the New Testament. Um, the, the letter opens with Peter calling us to rejoice that we have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because we are new people, uh, rejoicing in him in this new birth, uh, Peter's teaching us in this letter, how then shall we live? And so we, we live out of hope and, and we live as God's people. We live as exiles. We live in the midst of a hostile world. And this morning, he wants us to see that as new people shaped by this new birth, uh, we live as those who are in fact uh, ones who live with the end in view. Uh, there is an end in view. The, the end is near, he's going to tell us. Judgment is coming. Um, justice is going to be served, but also goodness and mercy is chasing us all the way home. How then shall we live? He's going to teach us this morning, Peter is, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But in order for us to both hear God's word and apply it to our hearts and lives, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, uh, we do pray that you would, through the Son, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. And Spirit, we pray that you would come and you would take your word and use it in our hearts and lives. Open our eyes of faith, Lord, we ask, so that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers." Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything... God may be glorified, glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ... You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. 
Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When Christian came to Interpreter's House in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, one of the strange scenes that Interpreter showed him involved two children with strange names, passion and patience. As those children sat in the room, Christian noticed that passion was incredibly discontented. He sat in his chair and he was fidgety and wriggly, unhappy and demanding, while patience sat very quietly, you might say, patiently. When Christian asked interpreter why passion was so discontented, interpreter said, the governor of them would have him wait for his best things until the beginning of the next year, but he will have all now. But patience is willing to wait. Suddenly, someone came into the room with a bag of treasure and poured it out at Passion's feet. And he jumps up from his chair and he takes it all up and he rejoices and he laughs mockingly at Patience. But after a while, all the treasure that Passion had, it was all gone. The fine clothes that he had, they were all rags. Bunyan applied the image this way. By, by, by commenting on two types of people. Passion represented those who, who lived for this world, who had to have their best life now and all their good things now, showing that they wanted not what was held out to them in the future, but, but the pleasures of this world that will inevitably fade away. But, but patience, well, patience represented those who, who had trusted in Christ and who are looking for the world to come, and we're willing to live with that end in view. It's this lesson, the lesson of patience. It's the same lesson that Peter's trying to communicate to us this morning. In some ways, he's gone over some of this ground before. Holiness, and, and the way then that those who are followers of Jesus Christ should live, putting off our old ways of living and and putting on our new ways of living that have been taught to us in the gospel. Suffering and its reality in the Christian life, the the fiery trial that's not just opposition for the gospel's sake, as in chapter 3, but also all kinds of trials and suffering and affliction and difficulty, as we saw in chapter 1. But here in chapter 4, Peter brings these two themes together and he orients them to a larger reality, namely, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. The end is near. And this world and its pleasures, they are passing away. And because these three things are so, how then should we as Christians live as a result? Well, how do you live? How do you live? Are you like passion? 
going through your days in the constant fear of missing out, going through your days convinced that really you only live once, so you need to grab what you can, the reality of this life. Do, do, you, do you go from event to event or experience from experience, trying for just those moments you're at the event or you're at the experience to capture some sense of pleasure, but then you wake up a week or a month or six months later and and whatever pleasure you had from that event, it's gone, and so you go on to the next event or the next experience? Or, or, or do you live your life trying to cross things off of your bucket list, those, those to-die-for events that you want to accomplish before you actually die, before you kick the bucket? In other words, do you live like passion? Or do you live like patience? Are you looking for a better world to come? with solid joys and lasting treasures, not, tre- not pleasures that, that, that evaporate after a week or a month or six months, but ones that remain, joys that are, that are not just ephemeral, but, but solid and remaining. Do, do you live as though sin is dangerous and holiness is life-giving? Do, do you find joy in, in being here, in this place with these people? Is your greatest joy to sing the praise of your God to pray together, to study God's word together, to use these means of grace? Or are there other places you go for pleasure? Are you passion? Or are you patience? These, these, the differences between these two ways of life, I'd suggest to you this morning, they have everything to do with whether you live with the end in view, whether you truly believe that judgment is coming and the end is near. And this world and its pleasures are passing away. Because when you, when you truly have the end in view, your life is characterized by three things. Three things. When you live with the end in view, first of all, you, you will live differently. Now, Peter's been telling us that throughout this letter. In fact, you, you can't go very far in Peter's letter without hearing this call to holiness, to a different way of living. For example, chapter 1, verse 14, Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Chapter 2, verse 1, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage against your soul. So over and again, Peter has called us to a different way of living. Here, Peter does the same. He calls us to live differently, different from our unbelieving friends, unbelieving family, unbelieving neighbors, But he not only calls us to live differently, he tells us why we are able to do so. And it has everything to do with with the first two verses. Look at your Bibles again. Chapter 4, verse 1. You see it? He, He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, that phrase right there at the beginning, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Peter's actually reaching back to the beginning of the previous paragraph, which we actually heard as our our assurance of pardon this morning. Chapter 3, verse 18, you see it? There he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Then, for one, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. In other words, Peter's telling us that, that you're identified with Jesus. You've, you, you've put your trust in him. You've rested your heart in the Messiah. And because you have identified with Jesus, what's true of him is now true of you. Well, what's true of Jesus? Well, he, he suffered for sin. He suffered in the flesh. He, he bore your sins on the cross. He, he took them upon himself. And once he died with your sins upon him as the sin bearer, Jesus was done with your sins forever. But get this, Jesus died, he bore your sins, he was done with your sins forever, but you are identified with him. You've put your trust in him, you rest in him, which means you are united to him, you are joined to him, you are, if you will, married to him. What's true of him is true of you. His death is your death. And because Jesus has died and is done with your sin, and because you are united to him, guess what? You're done with your sins too. You're done with your sins too. But in order for that to be your day-to-day reality, Peter says you need to, verse 1, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. In other words, you need to reckon with, consider that this is actually reality. Not what your disordered desires tell you, not what your wayward heart tells you, but in fact, what is true, absolutely true, that Christ died and is done with your sins, and because you have trusted in him and you are united to him, you too now are done with sin, done living with your sins and for your sins. How then are we to live instead? Well, not just by thinking, but actually living differently. See what he says? Verse 1, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of your time, the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You see? There's really only two ways of living. There's either passion or patience, human passions, all of our disordered desires, your wayward longings for for pleasure and power, for sex and success, for money and meaning. Peter says those who who live that way of life, they actually are are on the pathway to to judgment, and that was, in fact, your way of life in the past. Remember verse 3? For the time is past, or excuse me, for the time that is past, suffices for doing what the Gentiles, the unbelievers, want to do. Well, how did they live? What did they want to do? Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. That's how, that's how passion lives. Wayward, following their desires, following their lusts, following their broken pathways. On the other side is patience. How does patience live? Doing God's will is given in his word. Which means what? We abstain. We turn away. We don't go there. We don't participate in those things. We don't search those websites. We don't find those apps. We don't, we don't go there. We live differently. But listen, as a Christian, you've already made that choice, whether you realize it or not. 
When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you rested in him and received him as he was offered to you in the gospel so that you embraced Jesus as your savior and king, you already made the decision to be identified with his death so that his death is your death, not just as a ticket in heaven, but so that you might be done with sin. You made the decision to follow after him, to be his disciple, to live according to God's will as revealed in God's word. You are committed by faith in Jesus Christ to live differently from the world around you. Why? Because you've died and you've been raised with Christ. Now, now what's going to happen to you if you live that way, as you live that way? Well, Peter is so honest and describes it just right, I think. Verse 4, he says, with respect to this, that is the way you used to live in the past, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and the malign you. This isn't just first century. This is 21st century. I mean, when, when you decide that you can't participate in that civic organization that's this strained mixture of, of religion and, and pagan mythology with really all an excuse for partying, because your conscience is bound not to confuse these things and to live as a Christian, even though your family's been part of zoos or part of carnival for years and years and years and years, when you make the decision to step out, people will look at you incredibly strangely. It can, it can get incredibly uncomfortable. Your parents, your grandparents, your friends that you've known forever, what? Are you saying that I'm doing something wrong? I'm not saying anything. For me, though, I can't live that way. I can't do this. I can't participate. They malign you. Or when you make the decision that you can't go to the, the tailgate this season, because for the last decade, it seems like everyone there is just getting hammered, and you, you feel incredibly uncomfortable being there. The, the, the drinking parties and the, and the kind of off-color jokes. And you say, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to come to the tailgate. What happens? Well, he thinks he's holier than thou. I go to church too. Or she's just gotten stuck up. She just doesn't want to be with us anymore. It gets get really uncomfortable, can't it? What, that's what happens. Or when you decide that there's, there's certain movies or certain television shows that you, you can't watch because they encourage, as Peter describes it, sensuality, pleasures, and orgies. Games like, at least in a previous generation a few years ago, Games of Thrones, Game of Thrones or Mad Men. And you say, I can't watch that. I can't participate in that. What do others call you? Killjoy. Legalist. Don't you know we have freedom in Christ? Well, yeah, but for me, I'm not freedom to do that. You see, when we, when we live differently, because we have identified with Jesus Christ, it get, get very uncomfortable. But here's the thing. Judgment day is coming. Peter says that in verse 5. He, he says, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But, verse 5, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that those who, though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. What's Peter saying here? Well, on the one hand, those who malign you, who follow their passions, follow their disordered desires, when they, they, they oppose you because you don't join, they're going to give an account. Jesus is a judge. There is a grand assize, as the old language had it. A final reckoning, a final accounting. 
We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Christ will be seated at the bema. There is a final accounting. But on the other hand, Peter wants us to see that those who died trusting in the gospel, whether they died from natural causes or in Peter's day, whether they died from martyrdom, they died trusting in Jesus. And that means they can look forward to the resurrection, being made alive in the spirit, but, but also in the body. To, they look forward to living eternally in the new heavens, in the new earth, in Zion, in the very city of God. And because we will live forever, my friends, because we'll live forever in the presence of a king who is glorious and excellent and beautiful, whose mercy is more and who's fairest Lord Jesus, because we're going to live in his presence with solid joys and lasting treasures, my friends, let the world deride us. Let them pity us that we don't go where they go and hang out at the tailgates and party like they do. Let them say we're fools. It's okay. Heaven's joys, the new heaven, the new earth, the resurrection of the blessed, all our hopes and dreams, they will come true. And so let's live differently in the present because we live with the end in view. And yet Peter wants us to see that when we live with the end in view, not only do we live differently, we also live gracefully. That is, we live full of grace as we live our lives together as God's people. Notice what he says in verse 7. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and, and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a, a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The, the central verse in the section is actually verse 10, where Peter says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. But, but the use of these gifts only makes sense when we realize that we use these gifts in the context of a, of a new community. You see, when we come to Christ, yes, we must each put our trust in Jesus as individuals, but we never remain alone. We're always part of, of a people. We're always part of a community. And that, of course, was true even before you came to Christ. Before you came to Christ, what was your community? Well, Peter told us we live among the Gentiles. We live as the Gentiles do, the unbelievers, or if you will, the pagans. We did what they do. We, what they do. we value what they value. But now, because of faith in Jesus Christ, who's our community? Well, we live among those who are committed to being self-controlled, clear thinking, sober-minded, which isn't simply as, uh, avoiding certain sins. Rather, it's, it's a life committed to, to continuing to love one another earnestly. That, that language, earnestly, that Peter has here in verse 8, that's an interesting word. That, that word earnest has, earnestly has the idea of, of, of a st stretching rubber band. In other words, sometimes to keep on loving one another, we have to stretch ourselves and to stretch ourselves far beyond the place where we're comfortable in order to continue to love. Well, well what's one example where we have to stretch ourselves? Well, Peter goes on, love covers a multitude of sins. 
In other words, sometimes as we forgive each other, we don't bring certain matters up. We just let love covers uh, those, those little frustrations, those things we don't understand, those things we disagree with. Um, love covers, it puts a blanket over a multitude of sins so we can't see them. That's really hard. But Peter says when we live gracefully with one another, we stretch ourselves like a rubber band to let our love cover those things. Oh, how do we do this? How, how's that possible? Well, it's only through the work of God and Jesus Christ in us, through us, as the Holy Spirit is at work and in the, the variegated, multicolored kind of grace that God shows us. But especially, we're able to continue to love one another as we serve each other. It's so much easier to love someone who I know loves me because of their service to me. And vice versa, right? As we're serving one another, it actually makes it easier to love one another. And so the graceful living that Peter calls us to is, a, is ultimately a life of service towards each other as part of God's people. He tells us there are two kinds of ways or gifts of grace that we, we give to one another within this new community. Some of us, he says, speak. Did you see it in verse 11? He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. There are those of you in this congregation that have teaching gifts. Um, you, you have this remarkable ability to take God's word and to explain it to others, whether one-on-one -on -one or in a small group or in a larger group setting. There are others of you, perhaps you're here as a commissioner to the General Assembly and you're a teaching elder and you've been called and you have certain gifts to exercise as a preacher of God's word. Listen, Peter says that those gifts are not for you. Rather, they're for the community. And so he tells those of us who speak to use this gift to serve another, to serve others, to, to benefit them with the grace of God in their lives, not to, not to build our platform, not to increase our position, not to gain power. Rather, we speak God's oracles in the confidence that this is, in fact, God's word for God's people, and we speak it for God's glory. Others, Peter says, serve. And if you're here and you serve, he, he asks you, he tells you to serve by the strength that God supplies. So if you put up chairs and tables or, or you work with children or, or you participate in, in a mentoring program or you're involved in some kind of mission work, you're not just serving others. You're actually serving Jesus with the very power he supplies. In fact, if you're there just serving others, Apart from the strength that Jesus supplies, you'll stop serving. But if, in fact, you, you are receiving God's grace, his, his variegated, multicolored grace, and you are then pouring that out in your service to others, you're the channel. He's the grace. He's the service. But whether you speak or whether you serve, listen, you do so out of the powerful grace of God. And you do so for the glory of God. You do so looking forward to the day when Jesus returns and, and God will be glorified and, and glory and dominion will be granted to him fully and finally. The world will see who its true Lord always was, the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. And on that day, we'll rejoice in the, in the goodness of our God and allowing us to serve in just this way. You see, we live with that end in view, that Jesus is coming. It's about his glory, his excellency, his praise. 
And so because we live with that end in view, we, we live differently. We live gracefully, but, but finally this morning, we live joyfully. Now on the surface, the final section, verses 12 to 19, at least in verse 12, doesn't seem very joyful. You see it? Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. Of course, this isn't the first time Peter's talked about a fiery trial at the very beginning of the letter in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He speaks of a, of a, fire, of a time of testing as though by fire. Uh, these trials, all kinds of different trials that can try us and test us. Here, it appears that he's, he's closer to chapter 3, where those are opposing Christians because of their witness, because they are living as Christians. But whether it's through the, the multitude of trials that we experience in our day-to-day -day lives, or whether it's more specifically the opposition and affliction that we know as followers of Jesus Christ, Peter tells us it's possible to rejoice. It's possible to live joyfully. How's it possible? It's possible because we, we view our suffering differently. We, we, we view this, the opposition and difficulty that we experience as an actual participation in Christ's own sufferings. Do you see it? Verse 13, he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, there's the end. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God um, in that name. And so this language, verse 13, rejoice, rejoice, be glad. Verse 16, glorify. Over and over, Peter says this. Why? Why does he say, rejoice, be glad, live joyfully? He says it because sharing in Christ's suffering means that we're, it's his suffering, not our suffering. And, and when we're opposed for Christ's name, we're, we're being opposed for Christ's name, not our name. And when we're being ridiculed for being a Christian, it's, it's because we're a Christian, not, not because we're being ourselves. To be accounted worthy to suffer for his name, whether it's in the general trials and suffering that we experience, or more specifically, as a follower of Jesus Christ, suffering in Jesus' name brings a measure of joy, of a, of a sustaining joy that's different from the passing pleasures that we know or the happiness that we feel at different times. And yet there's, a, there's another part to this. Peter wants us to know that our suffering the opposition that we experience, the ridicule that we know, it, it won't last forever because the end is coming. He says, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And it begin, if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of Christ? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Justice is coming. Judgment day is coming. Now that, that may seem harsh for us to look forward to the end and look forward to judgment day to look forward to justice coming but i ask you this morning do you really want to live in a world where there's no justice do you really want to live in a world where there's not an end where god actually deals with what is wrong in his world what is sinful 
and, and what's sinful includes the ridicule and, and opposition of those who oppose the name of Christ. And do you really want to live in a world where sin goes unpunished? Well, we've kind of know this a little bit, at least we have over the last little bit here in our city. Where people commit property crimes and they get arrested and they're almost immediately out on bail and they do the same crime again. It feels a little bit like the Wild West or Gotham, doesn't it? It's not fun to live in this world. We really want justice to be done when those who commit crimes, who violate the law, when they do so, they, they need to be punished. We, we, long, we desire justice. But listen, there's coming a day when justice will be finally done, when God will, in fact, deal with all his and our enemies, and not just those who, who commit property crimes in Memphis. No, no, no. Far greater those who, who live as passion does desiring their good things now, living for money and power and sex and mocking those who want to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And in those times, we wonder, does passion really win in the end? Is passion really smarter than the rest of us who enjoy his good things now? Well, Bunyan's answer to that in Pilgrim's Progress was no. This is what he said. He said, therefore, passion had not so much reason to laugh as patience because he had his good things first as patience will have to laugh at passion because he has his best things last. For the first must give place to last because last must have its time to come, but last gives place to nothing for there's not another to succeed. Do you hear what he's saying? You're not a fool. You're not a fool to follow after Jesus. You're not a fool to say no to your disordered desires. You're not a fool to say no to money and power and sex and all the rest. You're not a fool to do what is right when doing right is hard. You're not a fool to bless when others revile you. You are not a fool. Because when you live with the end in view, you can truly believe that God will keep all his promises. Judgment is coming. The end is near. The world and its passions and pleasures is passing away. But when Jesus returns, he brings a new world, a new heavens, a new earth, a new body, solid joys, lasting pleasures, forever at the Father's right hand. Friends, the promises are all true. They're yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so you can live for the end. And you can live for what's last. Because the last gives place to nothing and will endure. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we do bless you that one day you're coming. And you're coming in such a way as to bring about the end of all things. At least the end of all things as we know it presently, but you're going to bring about a new heavens and a new earth and, and the resurrection of the blast and new bodies. And we shall see you, not, not just have faith in you, but we shall see you face to face. We'll see the nail prints. We'll see the wound, side wound. We'll see your eyes of compassion. We'll feel your embrace. We'll rejoice with the saints. Lord, it's all true. And so, Lord, grant us grace, we pray, as your people to live with that end in view. The time is short and the end is near. One day you're coming, a glorious day. Lord, until that day, we trust and rest in you, and we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.